you'll take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 1. Now, I'm going to put the, uh, the Scripture references this week on the screen. Usually our main text I don't put on the screen because I want you to open your Bibles and look at it in your Bibles, but we're going to be all over the place in Acts this morning. But you can follow along in your, in your Bible if you would like. Last Sunday, uh, I was away, and I thank you for allowing me and my family some time to be away last weekend. It was restful, and we enjoyed it. And I'm thankful for Ben and for the youth for taking charge of the service and sharing with you a bit of what they experienced at a wonderful weekend of Disciple Now. So thank you, Ben, and, and to our youth. But two weeks ago, we were wrapping up the Gospels, and we were looking at Jesus after the resurrection, before He ascended to heaven, he gave a final charge to his disciples. We call it the Great Commission. And that Great Commission is really one command. What is that one command? Can anybody remember? Make disciples. That one command is to make disciples. But then he gives us sort of three principles on how we go about making disciples. And the first one is that we go. He says that we have to go to every nation, go to all the peoples of the world, and then secondly, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So as we go to the world, we go and we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people would believe. Then we baptize them into communities of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into local churches. And the third principle was that we then teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. We disciple them. We help them to follow Jesus Christ. And then he concludes that, actually he sort of bookends it, with two promises. He promises us his authority. So as we go to make disciples and baptize and teach, we do it with the very authority of Jesus Christ with us. And then he also promised us his presence. That he would be with us as we go, even to the end of the age. Now Luke recounts another aspect of this great commission. And we find it here in Luke, in, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this verse really serves as an outline for the book of Acts. As you read through the book of Acts, as we're doing right now, you can see this verse happening as the book goes. Jesus said to them in Acts 1, 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in addition to Jesus' promise of His authority and His presence, here Jesus promises us His power as well. We are empowered to be Jesus' witnesses to the end of the earth. And we go in His authority, we go with His presence. Now how exactly do we do that though? What is the source of this empowerment? What credentials of Jesus' authority are we taking with us as we go? How exactly will Jesus be present with us always if He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven? Well, Jesus says in this verse that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Now, in John's Gospel... Before his crucifixion, Jesus explained to us exactly how he would be present with us and empower us and equip us for the task of making disciples. In John chapter 16, Jesus said, It is for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, 
I will send Him to you. And when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to Me by taking from what is Mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is Mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is Mine and make it known to you. Without the Holy Spirit working in and through us, we don't stand a chance in this world, do we? You and I, I I can at least speak for myself, I can't stand up against the principalities and the powers in this world. I can't stand up to Satan by myself. I can't stand up to the forces of evil and the lies that are, that are being told in our culture. I can't do that. Without the Spirit's indwelling, I can never carry out the Great Commission. And neither can you. As Jesus said just a few verses earlier in John fifteen five. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Just think about Jesus' disciples with me for a minute. This was a, a rowdy, rough, misfit, ragtag group of guys who couldn't get along with each other. They didn't really trust each other. They fought with each other about who was going to be the greatest among them in the kingdom of heaven. They never seemed to understand half of what anything Jesus said. They misunderstood His nature. They misunderstood His mission. They lacked faith. And in the end, they either betrayed, denied, or deserted Jesus when He needed them most. And after the resurrection, they alternated between hiding and returning to their old careers like fishing on the Sea of Galilee. So how in the world did these 11 men become the church that has thrived and spread around the world for 2,000 years? It was the Holy Spirit within them, transforming them from a small group of Jewish followers hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem into a worldwide movement that shook the Roman Empire to its core. By the Spirit's power at work in them, they turned the world upside down and changed the course of human history. The Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't just show up on Pentecost out of the blue, did He? The Holy Spirit has always been a part of the Bible's story. In Genesis 1-2, we see the Spirit actively at work in creation. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon specific individuals to empower them to carry out God's mission for them. People like Joseph and David and Samson and Gideon and the prophets. In the New Testament, God's Spirit once again is involved in the act of creation as the Spirit enables Mary to miraculously conceive Jesus. And then as Jesus began His ministry and was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on Him like a dove inaugurating His redemptive mission and beginning His ministry. And in Luke's Gospel, as Jesus begins His ministry, He goes from, from that baptism and His temptation in the wilderness, He goes into a synagogue and He opens up the Isaiah scrolls. And this is what Jesus reads to characterize what His ministry would be about. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
Because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying that His entire ministry, His teaching, His miracles, even His resurrection, are all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so after Jesus' resurrection, He breathes on His disciples and He tells them, Receive the Spirit And a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, as they were waiting in the upper room for that power to come, the Spirit came upon them. And so begins the book of Acts. Now, the traditional name for the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. But I don't like that name. Because really, this book isn't about what the apostles do. This book really is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit. Everything the church, everything the apostles accomplished was because of the Spirit's power at work in and through them. And that same Holy Spirit is given today to each and every person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The acts of the Spirit didn't end in Acts chapter 28 when Paul makes it to Rome. No, the Holy Spirit is still active in the church of Jesus Christ today. He's active in our church and in every local New Testament church. He's at work in your heart and in my heart. He's at work in our minds and through us. He is at work in this world today. Amen? You believe that? This morning I want to walk us through a few key places in Acts that can help us see exactly how the Holy Spirit empowers us to be Jesus' witnesses and to carry out the Great Commission, to go into all the world and to make disciples beginning right here in Jerusalem and going forward. The first thing we see is the Spirit enables us to make disciples. The first place in Acts we read about the Spirit's enabling believers is on the day of Pentecost. Look with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here the Spirit has miraculously enabled the apostles to preach the gospel in other languages, languages that they did not know. I mean, can you imagine meeting somebody from India who couldn't speak English and all of a sudden you can understand and speak Hindi and you start to share the gospel with them and they're saved? Can you imagine that? That's what happened that day. Now, I've read accounts of people on the mission field actually this day experiencing that miraculous ability to speak and understand a language they did not know so they could share the gospel with people. But those are rare. And the only place this happens in the entire Bible is right here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. So, so what is the principle for us just in our daily lives of following Jesus, well, I think it's, it's a few things. One, it's the Spirit enables us to communicate the gospel effectively. That's what He did there. He, he enabled them by being able to speak these other languages to communicate the gospel in a way that people could hear and understand. And I do that. Anytime I share the gospel with someone, I, I look for ways to contextualize it to that individual. Or if I'm speaking to a group of people, to that group of people. Canned presentations of the gospel are rarely effective. We need to personalize it. We need to own it. If I'm going to share Jesus, I need to share Jesus from my heart. I need to share my experience with Jesus, my relationship with Him. But I also need to rely on the Holy Spirit to help me personalize the gospel to those people. Am I talking to someone who's a child or an adult? A man or a woman? 
Am I talking to someone who grew up in church or doesn't know the first thing about church? Am I speaking to someone who's a seeker or someone who's a skeptic? Does this person have some issue in their life that needs to be addressed in addition to sharing the gospel? Something that could be an obstacle for them. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a past abuse. Maybe it's a broken marriage. The Holy Spirit helps me to personalize the gospel so I can clearly and effectively communicate it to them. That's what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 9 when he said, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He said to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. So as to win those under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. What Paul is saying is that by the Spirit's power, he contextualizes the gospel so that he can speak effectively to meet people where they are and to share Jesus with them in a way that they can hear, receive, and hopefully believe the message of Christ. But the Spirit also enables us to share Jesus boldly. Look at uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. Boy, I love that sound. It's great. Now, here the disciples have been, uh, you know, the the day of Pentecost was a great day, right? It was a great day. And 3,000 people were saved right there that day. Baptized, added to the church. That's some pretty good growth right there. 3,000 in one day. And then they're meeting together, and they're united in fellowship, and they're working these miracles, and they're teaching and preaching openly, and all these just thousands and thousands of people being saved and added to church. They're, They're gaining favor with all the people. Everything's going great. But then the Sanhedrin starts to become threatened and gets jealous. And so they arrest Peter and John. And they tell them, don't you preach and teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they beat them for their trouble and let them go. And Peter and John run back to the disciples. And they tell them what all has happened. And they actually rejoice that they're able to suffer this way for Jesus. And then look what it says in verse 29. They say this prayer together. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So the disciples came to this moment, this realization, you know what, this isn't going to be as easy as we thought it was going to be. It's not always going to be as glorious as it was on the day of Pentecost. We're going to face hardship. There's going to be persecution and struggle and trials. And so they gathered together and they prayed for the Spirit to enable them, no matter what they may face, to speak the Word of God with boldness. And when God answered that prayer, He did it in a powerful demonstration that had echoes of the day of Pentecost as the room shook and they were once again filled with the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit only once. The day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins, you ask Jesus to come into your life and to save you, at that moment you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. He comes to live and dwell within your heart for the rest of your life. But we can be filled with the Spirit. We can experience the fullness of the Spirit multiple times, over and over and over again. In fact, Paul commanded the Ephesian Christians, in Ephesians 5.18, he commanded them, be filled with the Spirit. 
And the tense of the Greek word there has this continuing sense to it. It's keep on being filled with the Spirit. We should continually, daily abide in Christ and allow His Spirit to abide in us. Paul used a different analogy in Galatians chapter 5 where he tells us to live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And he goes on to say, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit so that we can be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, so that we can bear qualities like love and joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. So to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, those are just other ways of describing being filled with the Spirit. And when we live with the Spirit of Christ in that kind of way, we will be able to speak about Jesus with great boldness. We'll also be able to speak and serve wisely. The Spirit enables us to speak and serve wisely. Now, in Acts chapter 6, the church encountered its first internal issue. As a group of widows in the church felt like that they weren't being looked after and taken care of the way they should because of their ethnicity because they were of a Greek background instead of a Jewish background. And so the unity of the church was being threatened. And so the apostles realized that they, their plates were full. They were busy praying and studying Scripture and preaching and, and leading the church. And so they needed some new leadership. They needed some, some men qualified to, who could come alongside of them and to help meet the needs of these widows. They needed men who could help preserve the unity of the church, who could serve with wisdom and faithfulness. And so look at verses 3 and 4 in Acts 6. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. These were sort of the proto-deacons, the, the, the first deacons of the church. And notice that one of the qualities that came with being filled with the Holy Spirit, is that they were also filled with wisdom. And this wasn't just your general common sense kind of wisdom. Look at verses 9 and 10. A little bit later on, Stephen, who was one of the seven men that were set aside to be deacons, opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. And these men began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. This was the kind of wisdom that they needed to address the skeptics and those who wanted to oppose or to argue with them over the claims of Christ. Today we call that discipline apologetics. It's the ability to defend the faith in a logical and, and rational way. In order for us today to wisely speak to those who challenge the gospel, because I tell you, that verse right there, verse 10, that could very much be us today, could it not? There are those who stand opposed to us, who want to argue with us about the Bible and about the claims of Christ. And if we want to speak wisely to them, we need to follow Peter's admonition in 1 Peter when he said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And we do this. How do we do this? How can we always be prepared? Well, we read the Bible. We study the Bible. We come to church 
to send out a preaching and teaching in Sunday school. And we come to cross currents on Sunday night where we can actually get hands-on experience in these kinds of things. We read good books from Christian apologists to help us think through why do I believe what I believe and how would I explain this to someone else. But more important than all of that, we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. I'll tell you, there have been times I have been in conversations with people. Some of them receptive to the gospel, some of them not receptive to the gospel. And I have found myself saying things that I'm just kind of in my mind thinking, well, this is pretty good. I, I need to write this down after this conversation. I, I just, and it's really like, I don't know where this is coming from. It's the Holy Spirit just giving me the wisdom, giving me the words, calling things to mind that maybe I read years ago and helping me to share with that person. James 1.5 tells us if any of us lacks wisdom, and maybe some of you out there <laughs> don't look at your spouse now, or look at yourself. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. The Holy Spirit will empower you to speak and serve wisely. Now, these first three ways the Spirit empowers us and enables us is for the benefit of others. They, they all have an outward focus to help us to speak and to share and to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. But these next two ways the Spirit enables us are for our benefit. They are about our inward experience of God's presence. Look at Acts 7.55. This same Stephen that was speaking with wisdom and they couldn't stand up against his arguments. You know, what happens sometimes when people can't rationally argue against you, they just attack you. And that's what happened to Stephen. They, they finally decided they were just going to take him outside the city and kill him. That, that was the only response they had left. And so in Acts 7.55 it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit can enable us to see God's glory clearly. Because Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He was able to see through that thin veil that separates the physical from the spiritual, the temporal from the eternal. He could literally see the glory of God and Jesus standing for him because he had stood for Jesus. And I can't help but think that every saint who's ever given their life for Jesus Christ has had that same vision. To see Jesus Christ stand up beside the Father for them. And when they left this life and entered the next, to hear those beautiful words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. But I also believe that we don't have to wait till we die. And we don't have to, to literally be martyred for the faith to experience this. I believe that we can see God's glory. We can experience the reality of Christ's presence every single day. If we would be filled with His Spirit and keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, then the storms of this life will melt away. And like Peter, when he was keeping his eyes on Jesus, we can walk over the rough waters of temptation and struggle and trials and doubt and yes, even personal. Persecution. But if we take our eyes off Jesus, if we fail to walk in the Spirit, then we get overwhelmed and we sink into discouragement and despair. I urge you, be filled with the Spirit. Pray for God to give you that clear spiritual sight so that you can see His glory around you every day, so that you can keep your eyes on Jesus and endure whatever trials may come. And finally, I, I pray that you can also follow Jesus 
faithfully. The Holy Spirit enables us to do that. Flip over a few more pages to Acts chapter 13, verse 52. Here the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, and He fills them with joy. It says, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. But this joy is found in the midst of persecution. Look up at verse 49. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region, so they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So when Stephen was being martyred, because he was full of the Spirit, he could see the glory of God and the presence of Jesus standing with him. And when Paul and Barnabas were kicked out of the region, they could keep on making disciples with joy because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a choice. We can choose joy filled by the Spirit, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. And when we consider Him who endured so much for us, we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart. These are wonderful gifts from God. Boldness, wisdom, joy. But the Spirit not only enables us to make disciples, He also instructs us in making disciples. In other words, He doesn't just give us the tools, He gives us the instructions on how to use the tools. In Acts chapter 8, we see the Holy Spirit give Philip specific instructions on where to go. Flip with me to Acts chapter 8. In verse 29... The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. See, the Spirit gives us on instructions. He tells us where to go. Now, remember in Acts 1.8, I told you that that was basically the outline for the book of Acts. Throughout this book, the Holy Spirit instructs the church where to go. They start in Jerusalem and Judea. And then in Acts 8, they go to Samaria. And then in, beginning in Acts 9, they begin to go to the ends of the earth. And every time they go to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit descends upon them just as He did the Jews on the day of Pentecost, affirming God's worldwide mission to make disciples. And just as He gave Philip specific, go here to this chariot, we see throughout the book of Acts, and we're not going to look at all those, but they're in your notes. I hope you'll look at them today. He tells Peter, he tells Paul, time and again, go here, go there. Sometimes he prevents them from going to places he doesn't want them to go at the moment. He gives them instructions where to go. That same Spirit lives in you and me to guide us. I believe that there are people all around us that are lost without Jesus. Our paths cross the paths of people all the time. And the Holy Spirit, if we'll just watch and listen, He will prompt you to go to this person, go to that person, pray with this person, share me with that person. But He also tells us what to do. Look at Acts chapter 15. Following Jesus, helping others follow Jesus isn't easy. It's not cut and dry. It can get a little bit messy. But thankfully... 
God is a God of grace and He gives us lots of freedom and room to live out the gospel and to follow the Great Commission. So as these Samaritans and Gentiles were getting saved, the church kind of had some concern. These, these Christians in Jerusalem who were of a Jewish background, do these Gentiles have to become Jews before they can follow Jesus? And so they turned to God, to the Holy Spirit, for instruction on what to do. And look at Acts 15, verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And they give them just a few little guidelines that want to make sure these Gentile Christians are going to follow. See, as we reach people for Jesus and make disciples, they're not going to necessarily look like us, talk like us, dress like us. And as we go into the future, more and more people who become Christians will not have grown up in a church background. I mean, you just think about what the sanctuary looked like 25, 30 years ago versus what it looks like today. People don't go to church like they used to. And as we go into the future and we win people to Jesus, less and less of them will have grown up in church. So we can't expect them to adapt to a cultural Christianity and do things exactly the way that we do them. Because they're not going to understand that. And maybe that's a good thing. Because not everything in cultural Christianity is very Christ-like, is it? We need to rely less on our traditions and preferences and more on the Holy Spirit. Because He will instruct us. Number three. We're going to wrap this up real quick. The Spirit encourages us to make disciples. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says that the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So as the church follows the Spirit and is enabled to make disciples, as we deal with internal issues and external pressures, we need encouragement. Because making disciples and following Jesus is risky business. And like I said, it's messy sometimes. It's not formulaic. It's not predictable. We need constant encouragement and strengthening. And that comes from God to us through the Holy Spirit. In John's Gospel, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the Counselor. Maybe your translation says the Advocate. The Greek word is paraclete. And it means one who comes alongside. The Holy Spirit is God come alongside us, to walk with us, to lift us up, to encourage us along the way. And finally, the Spirit enlists us in making disciples. A lot of churches and a lot of Christians make the mistake of focusing solely on either evangelism or discipleship, as if those are like two competing programs or missions of the church. But really, evangelism and discipleship are two parts of the same mission. Making disciples has to begin with winning the lost, right? We have to go to those who don't know Jesus and make disciples of them. So, discipleship that doesn't begin with evangelism, well, that's impossible. But evangelism that doesn't end with discipleship is incomplete. It takes both. And so we see in Acts 13, verses 2 through 4, The church of Antioch, Saul and Barnabas, and they're there at this church. And Antioch is a Gentile church. And it says that as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had prayed and fasted, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So we see here that Saul and Barnabas are called to win the lost. 
The Spirit has sent them out. The Spirit sends us out as well to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share with those who are lost in sin and on Christ's behalf to implore them, be reconciled to God. We must go and win the lost. People are dying and they are going to hell. And you've got the key. You've got the answer. You can, you can throw that lifeline out to them. We've got to do that. But then turn to Acts 20, 28. Here Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders, the leaders of the Ephesian church, before he sails on to Jerusalem. And he says to them, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So here he's telling these, these pastors to take care of yourselves, to watch out for yourself, your own spiritual growth, but then also that of the church that God has put you in charge of. So the Spirit called Paul to go win the lost and plant churches, and the Spirit is calling these people to disciple those who are in the church. It takes both evangelism and discipleship, winning the lost and making disciples. And God calls you and me to do both. We are enlisted by the Holy Spirit into the mission of making disciples. Now, Acts not only shows us what the Spirit does, Acts also shows us what we can do with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, we see that people can lie to the Spirit and test the Spirit. You may remember that story where Ananias and Sapphira sold some property and they told the church that they were donating 100% of the profit to the church and they were really keeping some up for themselves. And they died right there on the spot. So keep that in mind as the offering plate is passed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Then when Stephen preached the gospel with boldness before the Sanhedrin, he told them, he told the Jews there, he said, you keep resisting the Holy Spirit. So we see that we can lie to the Spirit, we can test the Spirit, and we can even resist the Spirit. Or we can receive the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. And the choice is ours. As we get ready to sing the hymn of invitation, I want you to wonder and ask yourself, how am I living my life in relation to God's Spirit? Are you testing the Spirit by not doing what He's telling you to do? Are you lying to the Spirit by only going through the motions and not really meaning it in your heart? Are you resisting the Spirit's work in your life? I pray that this morning what you will do is respond to the Holy Spirit by surrendering yourself fully to the Lord, receiving His Spirit in faith and trust, and allow Him to fill you and to empower you to be a disciple of Jesus who is on mission for Him every day making disciples. I pray this morning that you would follow the Spirit's leading today, whatever He is saying to you to come and profess faith in Jesus Christ and follow Him in baptism, to unite with this church family, maybe just to come and rededicate yourself and pray for the Spirit to shake you and fill you anew and afresh so that you can serve Jesus boldly. Whatever He says to you, would you stand and respond today?